0: There was a a Christian lady who lived next door to an atheist. Every day, when the lady prayed, the atheist guy would hear. And he thought to himself, she sure is crazy. Praying all the time like that. Doesn't she know there is no God? Many times while she was praying. He would go to her house and harass her. Saying lady why do you pray all the time? Don't you know there is no God? But she kept on praying. One day, she ran out of groceries. As usual, she was praying to the Lord, explaining her situation and thanking him for what he was going to do. As usual, the atheist heard her praying. And thought to himself, oh, I'll fix her. He went to the grocery store. Bought a whole bunch of groceries. Took them to her house. Dropped them off on the front porch. Rang the doorbell. And then hid in the bushes to see what she would do. When she opened the door, she saw the groceries. She began to praise the Lord with all her heart, jumping and singing and shouting everywhere. The atheist Jen popped out of the bushes and told her, you crazy old lady. God didn't buy you those groceries. I did. Well, she broke out and started running down the street, shouting and praising the Lord even more. When he finally caught up with her, he asked her what was her problem. She said, I knew the Lord would provide me with groceries. I just didn't know He would make the devil pay for it. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I know, I know. We are making our way through a letter from the Apostle Paul to his young co-worker named Titus. If you recall, both Paul and Titus went to the island of Crete, which is a large island in the Mediterranean Sea just southeast of Greece. They were there to organize and to shepherd the churches there. But later there came a time when Paul had to depart for other ministry. And so he left Titus on the island to finish what they had started. And to straighten out some things in the churches. Things that were apparently not right. And a primary way for Titus to do that was to appoint mature Christian men as elders, as spiritual leaders in the church. Last week, we spent some time looking at the the character qualities, the lifestyle qualities, if you will of an elder which I concluded were actually marks of maturity marks of maturity for every Christian man to aspire (coughs) they applied to every single man who is growing in grace and godliness and from these mature Christian men, Titus, was to appoint some of them as elders in every city where there was a church with a clear and simple mission. Their mission was to cling to the truth of God's word. Which they had been taught. Clamp onto it like vice grips. So that. That's a purpose statement. So that they might first encourage others with sound healthy doctrine. Encourage them to press on to maturity in the faith. And then secondly, and unfortunately, these elders were to confront those who oppose sound doctrine. And if you spend any time in the New Testament, you will come to realize there will always be those who oppose the truth. Whenever God sows the truth, Satan quickly comes to oppose it. And that sets the stage. That sets the stage for the next part of this letter. Where the Apostle Paul describes to Titus the nature of this opposition the nature of it, that must be confronted by Titus and by the elders he appoints. So if you have your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, and we will begin with verse 10. Titus 1 verse 10. Are you there? Should be on the board, I'm hoping. Paul says, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced. Because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars evil beasts, lazy gluttons. In this passage, Paul begins by describing these people that oppose the truth. And we should not overlook the fact that right off the bat, Paul says there were many Of them. If you remember, at this time, the island of Crete was a Roman providence whose people were influenced by pagan philosophies. It was a place historically steeped deep into Greek mythology and it was an island with several major harbors open to anyone and everyone with their own form of religious baggage. The island was a hodgepodge a hodgepodge of people with their own beliefs. These people were all over the place. They were in great numbers, and apparently some were in the church, which typically would be a good thing. But they weren't interested in the truth or getting right with God. These people were rebellious, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. That's how Paul described their behavior, and quite frankly, there's nothing good about it. He called them rebellious, meaning they did not want to be held accountable. God has established an order of authority for all of us in different areas of life. For all of us. There is an order of authority in the home, in the church, in the workplace, and in the community. God wants us to recognize those areas where he has placed an order of authority in our lives. And he wants us to submit to that authority. I use the S word, I'm sorry. Submit. My bad. But these people that Paul is describing wouldn't do that. They didn't recognize the authority of God's word, much less the authority of the spiritual leaders in the church. Yes, they claimed to be Christians. They rubbed elbows with God's people. But they thought they could do whatever they wanted. In their own way. On their own terms. On their own terms. They were rebellious. Paul also described those who opposed the truth as Empty talkers and deceivers. These people make themselves known by their fruitless speech and their lies. They were the, we would call the smooth talkers. You know the type. The smooth talkers. Their words were impressive and even persuasive but when it came to content when it came to content their words lacked any substance and they were not true instead of leading people true to the truth they led people to accept things that were not true and of course It was at the expense of others. And when I say that, I mean their main motivation was financial gain. In 2018, just a few years ago, a televangelist Asked his followers to fund his fourth jet a fifty four million dollar jet because he said Jesus wouldn't be riding a donkey. he said to his followers, God told him to buy it. When asked why he doesn't fly commercial like the rest of us, he responded, joined by another wealthy minister, that flying commercial is like flying in a long tube with demons. Wow. Hope I wasn't on that flight. <laughs> These are prosperity gospel preachers, and quite frankly, the only ones prospering are the preachers. These preachers are more concerned about their income rather than the outcome of serving Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, it is what we see today. It is prevalent. And it was prevalent back then in Paul's day. So as described by Paul, these were some of the characteristics of false teachers in Crete. They were rebellious, empty talkers, deceivers. But there was another group who Paul was very familiar with. He called them the circumcision. If you recall, they were the professing Christians with Jewish backgrounds. Okay? They were the professing Christians with Jewish backgrounds who thought the key to their acceptance by god was keeping the law of moses and let me explain historically historically the people of god were focused on one ethnic group just one the jews The people of Israel. And they were set apart. They were set apart by the practices commanded in the Mosaic law. Such as the circumcision of males. The observance of special days. The ceremonial washings. And the eating of certain foods. Ring a bell? In Paul's day, there were many Jewish believers in Christ. At least they professed to be believers. You following me? And they felt... That for the Gentile believers to truly be a part of God's family, they needed to follow the requirements of the Mosaic law. They insisted that the Gentile believers had to become Jews in practice. Okay? In practice before they could become true followers of God. These Jewish believers were telling the Gentile believers, yes, it's fine to believe in Jesus Christ, but we've got this extra stuff that you have to follow to be saved, which includes the circumcision of males. And we don't care what the church says. We reject that. That's what was happening. Anytime, hear me, anytime the message becomes Jesus plus something else equals salvation, then it is an outright lie. Anytime. Anytime. Anytime it is Jesus plus something else equals salvation, it is a lie. It's a distortion of the gospel truth and a destruction of grace. It's trouble. If you add legalistic requirements to God's gracious plan of salvation, then you take away the simple truth of the gospel and you suggest that God's plan of salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ was not sufficient to save. These people were opposed To the truth. These legalists were teaching things they should not teach. Upsetting whole families. And that's what legalism does. It breeds conflict. And divisiveness. Even in a family setting. And here's why. Legalism happens when we substitute our rules, our rules for our relationship with Jesus. Rules we think will somehow earn us points with God. It happens when we lose sight of what God has done for us and instead we focus on what we can do for him. And because the focus is on man, that's the crux of it, because the focus is on man, legalism creates self-righteousness And judgmental people. Like the Pharisees. It robs people of freedom and joy. It reduces the Christian life to nothing but a set of don'ts and do's. And it jeopardizes loving relationships with God. And with one another. I heard a funny story about a Methodist pastor who was sitting in his study when he looked out the window behind his desk and saw Jesus standing outside watching him. He didn't know what to do, so he called his bishop. The pastor said, You won't believe this. But Jesus is standing outside my study looking at me. The bishop gasped and asked, What's he doing? The pastor took another glance and whispered, Nothing. He's just watching me. What should I do? The bishop thought for a minute and then said, Look busy it's funny but that's legalism it's performance based it's doing stuff to somehow some way impress God when the truth is God's already done it all for us He simply wants us to grow in grace and godliness in a loving relationship with him. That's what he wants. The truth is, we make things harder than it has to be. Do we not? That's the truth. So Paul said, it isn't enough. That elders should teach the truth, they must also silence certain people who spread lies. That word silenced literally means to muzzle. To muzzle. Usually by stuffing something in a person's mouth. <laughs> That's the picture. I'm not making this up. That's the picture we are presented with here. Now, I have no intention of stuffing anything in someone's mouth. Although the thought has crossed my mind a few times. (laughs) So how might I, as an elder, a pastor... Silence someone. That's hard. That's a tough question. Because I know I have no control on what someone does, for example, on social media. They can spew whatever garbage they want to spew. And there are many who are doing just that. They have the freedom of speech to do so. But when it comes to this church, when it comes to this church, I don't have to give them a platform to preach or to teach or to speak from. As the pastor, I don't have to do that. And secondly, and I think more importantly, and this applies to all of you, we can silence the lies with the truth. And not just your truth. That hurt my fingers. Not your truth, but biblical truth. Is verse 12 still up there? If you look at verse 12, I will admit, I'm still learning, I will admit that was somewhat of a head-scratcher for me. It almost sounds like an inside joke. But I think because this letter would be read openly to the various congregations in the churches there, that was the practice, it was said to counter, to counter any potential arguments by some in Crete who may say they would not be the victim of deception or they're not going to pass along any false teaching, to which Paul states... One of themselves. A prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. About 600 years before Christ, a famous Cretan philosopher named Epimenides made that statement about his own people. Paul didn't say it. Paul didn't say that. He said that about his own people, about themselves. Paul is pointing out that deception is definitely a serious problem a serious character problem in crete it's rampant apparently they can't tell the truth from a lie and therefore the christians in crete needed to be on their toes i think that's the thought there. paul continues And beginning with verse 13, he says, This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely, so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Paul says we are to confront the lies and the liars directly. Notice the words, reprove them severely. Those are some pretty strong words, aren't they? It means to cut off. Like cutting off the branch of a tree. And I think Paul is using these strong words because for some people, not all, but for some people, they are so deep into the lies. So deep, they even believe their own lies. Greater firmness may be necessary. Now granted, they may not listen. In fact, many religious people didn't listen to Jesus. But still, we confront the lies and the liars with truth. And why do we do that? He tells us. So hopefully, this is so important. So hopefully, they may be sound and healthy in the faith. That's the goal. That's the goal. It's a win win. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother sins, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Not on social media, not on Facebook, not on Instagram. If your brother sins, I'm going to include sister there, Go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Later in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, even if someone, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The ultimate goal is not to crush someone. Even when the truth seems harsh. The goal is to restore the fallen and to strengthen the weak in the faith. And hopefully, this will persuade them and others to turn to the truth and turn away from the lies which were circulating throughout the island of Crete. To include Jewish myths And the commandments of men. Teachings. These were teachings that were masquerading. Teachings that were masquerading as the truth from God. When in fact. They were not founded in God's word. Now we come to the last two verses in this chapter. And beginning with verse 15, we read, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God... But by their deeds, they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. In these verses, Paul confronts false teachers with a test. A test of character and a test of conduct. A test of character and a test of conduct. He explains that what's on the inside, what's in in the heart of a person, what's in their character, will sooner or later be revealed on the outside by their conduct. What a person believes, what a person thinks, impacts how they behave. To the pure, all things are pure. True purity is from the heart, and it produces outer. That's what he's saying. True purity resides not in the practice of legalistic man-made rules, but rather it's rooted in a character-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And then it's revealed in our conduct. To the pure. All things are pure. And just for clarification, Paul does not mean that sinful things are pure to the pure. Just in case you're willing to go there. He's talking about those things clearly permitted in God's word that the legalists want to forbid with their man made rules. Paul continues and says, But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. To those who are corrupted on the inside with false ideas and legalistic teaching and empty philosophies, everything is corrupt. Nothing seems right. The apostle Paul warned another, young co-worker named Timothy of this very thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, Paul said, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Boy, that's true, isn't it? By means of the hypocrisy of liars. Seared in their own conscience as as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Paul knew that if a Christian walked In the purity of the Lord, these things were pure to him. But to those with a legalistic mindset, to them, nothing seemed pure. Nothing seemed right. And of course, how do you fix that? With more rules. Right? You need more rules. In verse 16. We read once again, my last verse. They profess to know God. This is so important. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Here's what I want to say about this last verse. It is Christ and Christ alone who saves. There is no one else who saves. There is no other name given under heaven by which men may be saved. And there is nothing you can do to be saved other than placing your saving faith in Jesus Christ. He paid it all. It is finished work, period, that's it. Now with that said, now with that said, once you are saved, hear me, once you are saved, indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and influenced by His Word, over time, from the inside out, your life should change. It has to. How can it not? It has to. And for those who professed. To know God. And yes, they said, Jesus is my Lord. And they bragged, they have a good heart. Oh. But their lives said something different. They used the right words. They said the right things about God, and yet their lives denied that God even mattered in their lives. Their consistent, that's important, their consistent, crooked conduct was evidence that there had been no character transformation whatsoever by God changed character leads to change conduct it has to at least to some degree in his book habits of the heart. Sociologist Robert Bella reported that 81% of the American people he interviewed said that an individual should arrive at his or her own religious belief independent of of any church or synagogue. Meaning that those who claim to be Christian are arriving at faith on their own terms. Terms that make no demands on their behavior. A woman named Sheila who was interviewed for the book, embodies this attitude. She said, I believe in God. I can't remember the last time I went to church. But my faith has carried me along the way. It's, these are her words, it's, sheila It's sheila Just my own little voice. Maybe some other voices as well. <laughs> Listen. <clears throat> I think I have a pretty good grasp on reality. And just like those in Crete, I know, I know that people are going to choose to do whatever they want to do. I know that. I know. That people are going to choose to believe whatever they want to believe. That's reality. I know that. But I also know this in the end, you cannot choose the consequences. That you cannot. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you so much for this time in your word. Lord, I pray that uh, my words honored you. Lord, you are worthy of all honor and all glory. You're worthy of praise. Jesus, I pray you would be <clears throat> our everything. High and lifted up. You're so worthy. Thank you, for, thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us. We did not deserve it one single bit. But you... Paid the penalty for sin that you did not owe because we had a penalty we could not pay. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that your words will have an impact in our lives, not just here in church, but Father, once we work out the front door, help us to be a different kind of people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. seem like you were kind of downplaying good works. Our conduct, right? We should see it. That God has transformed our character. It should be evident in our conduct. We should be different people. We should be different people. I was telling the class this morning how how could I? I ever go to a person and say, God can change your life. And my life is no different than theirs. Just like in Crete, it was all talk. Just talk. We can't be like that. And I Concerns about what happens in here. We love each other in here. I love most <laughs> <laughs> of you. Dad, <laughs> <laughs> i you now. i here. take. We love each other in here. We're kind and friendly. Boy, I said, yeah, absolutely. I concerned here. It's, there's a double door out there. That's where I get. That's where the rubber hits the road. What? How are you up there? That's not. Almost he changed lives. Maybe you're here this morning. And you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me tell you, he loves you more than you ever know. I have a hard time defining it. I have a hard time explaining it. He's like madly crazy in love with you, even at your worst. Matter of fact, the Bible says even while you were still yet sinners, matter of fact, enemies of God, even though you were His enemy. Christ died for you. Do I understand that? No. I see it on paper. I can, I can, but it just doesn't, it just does not work. I'm just, the best I can do is, it just, it doesn't doesn't matter. All I know is he loves me in spite of me. And he loves you in spite of you. Paul says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That implies, we believe he is who he says he is. What he said is true. We can take him at the gate. Places our faith in Jesus. He calls upon the name of the Lord. What? What we say. Is there a period after that? I think there's a period after that sentence. Not a comma, not a comma. People want to add commas. A period. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I would love to introduce you to him. Give me a chance. you would looking like for a church home, we'd love to have you. Even though it's hot at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. if there's something else. You just need pray. I would love pray. Whatever the case may be, I just ask you to be obedient to Him and, and respond to however He leads you. Maybe it's seeing me, maybe it's just in your seat and to Whatever that looks like. Just respond to him. You Mr. Know.